Hi guys, welcome to the Sip and Sort podcast. Today I have my first interview to share with you and it is with my best friend, Mackenzie Myers. She and I are both former early childhood education teachers and we wanted to give some resources and guidance and just encouragement for all of those parents right now who are having to homeschool. So please stay tuned, I hope you enjoy. Hello. Hi, Mackenzie. How are you? I'm well. How are you, Hannah? <laughs> I'm good. Do you want to introduce yourself to my audience? I'd love to. So my name is Mackenzie Myers, and I live in a kind of rural area of Ohio, um, West Central Ohio. And I actually, Hannah and I met in college in our education program. So I am someone with a bachelor's of science and education, and I taught in public school for about four years. And then from there, um, I resigned and moved on to working in a different area of nonprofit work and kind of having some alternate ways of working in education. So I currently work for our local food systems initiative and manage our farmer's markets Um, And then I also work for our county art center that is a combination of nonprofits that are all designed for the benefit of the arts access in our community. So, um, you know, obviously education and having resources is something that I really value. And that's how I spend my time currently. In addition to that, um, I also spend some time making art projects for people in different ways so love it so you called me last week and we were talking about all of the things that have been going on with the coronavirus and being in quarantine Um, and we were kind of talking about how overwhelmed parents are right now and you brought it to my attention that you wanted to do something to help parents who are being forced to homeschool right now which is kind of what gave us the idea for this podcast episode Um, where we wanted to give encouragement and resources to those parents. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, obviously both of us having an education background, I had to call you immediately. Um, (laughs) I knew you would understand, but (laughs) I just have found myself so concerned with these families because first and foremost, you know, homeschooling or home learning is typically a choice. And in this scenario, you know, with all of the responses to COVID-19, you know, families don't have the choice right now. This is something that was kind of plopped into their laps and they have to, you know, figure it out the best that they can. And, you know, first I want to make sure that families understand that, you know, everybody's kind of experiencing this in a different way and anything you're doing right now is quite good enough, but you know, having that background in teaching in a classroom and valuing largely homeschool or not homeschool, but rather home learning practices and alternative learning practices that are outside of the classroom. I thought it might be helpful to kind of support families in how they move forward in this time and not really knowing how, um, how long it might be and if children are going to be able to even return through the end of the school year. But, you know, what can we put in place for families that might support them 
at this time. Exactly. And you and I kind of talked about my first year teaching in Alaska. Um, I feel like I can relate a lot to what these, these parents are feeling. Um, Not that they ever wanted to be teachers, but I think a lot of them on one end of the spectrum are feeling like they have too many resources thrown at Mm -hmm. them. And parents on the other end of the spectrum are feeling like they don't have enough resources. And um, you and I talked about how when I was getting ready to go to Alaska, I had been planning for this year for so long. And I had all of the manipulatives and all of the books and so many plans in place. And I thought in my head that I knew exactly how it was all going to turn out. And I had everything I needed. Um, And I know you don't work that way, but I (laughs) tend to just over, over plan things. So when I took that job in Alaska, I realized it wasn't financially feasible for me to be sending any of those things that I had bought. And I stored just a handful of books in my suitcase and took them with me. And when I got to the village, I found out that I didn't just have one classroom. I actually had two classrooms. And on the one hand, I felt totally overwhelmed because these classrooms were completely cluttered and filled with all of the things, um, old curriculum, for one was a huge thing. There was so much curriculum and a lot of it, first of all, I didn't have time to look through it. There was too much. Um, And a lot of it that I thought was a good resource or would be a a good resource, I realized I didn't have enough of. So I decided that I needed to just keep it simple. And I remember that day one, I decided I was going to read a book to my students. I was teaching kindergarten and I was going to read a book to them. And a little girl raised her hand in the middle of the book and pointed to a picture and asked me what something was. And I realized she was talking about the sidewalk. So I stopped and I explained what the sidewalk was. And then I kept reading. And a few minutes later, another little boy raised his hand and he asked me about another picture um, and he wasn't sure what a bathtub was. So I explained that. And at that point, I realized that the moral of the story was going to be lost because they were so confused by all of these fine details. And at that point, I realized that I really needed to think about who these kids were and what they needed from me and recognize that the traditional idea of what I thought education would look like really wasn't going to work in this situation. So on the one hand, I was trying to drown out all of the clutter and get all of the physical things out of the classrooms that I felt like were cluttering up my own brain and making it difficult for me to think about what I needed to do. And on the other hand, I was trying to figure out what the simplest route was um, to really getting to know these kids and understand them and being, being able to help them where they were with very little, um, resources that I felt that I needed. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I kind of had a contrasting experience. My first year of teaching was very much in a low diversity, um, you know, rural area and it's like higher in poverty. So, you know, my experience was, was vastly different, but a lot of the teachers that I worked with were very traditional teachers and had a lot of plans in place. And I was, as I left college, you know, I was so excited to implement everything that we had just learned and bring in diversity and perspective and start with that, you know, keeping it simple kind of approach and getting the most out of that. Um, However, I I experienced a challenge with kind of being influenced otherwise and battling back and forth of how to keep it simple, but fit in. So, um, you know, I'm sure that that families at home are kind of experiencing that in regards to probably on social media, looking at their, their child's peers, at what they're completing, what their families are doing, what they're not doing. Um, and it's becoming kind of this competition or comparative 
kind of environment and really everything that anybody's doing right now, as long as they're giving any sort of effort is just fine. Like the more important thing to acknowledge right now is that this is a stressful time and that we're all responding to this stress in different ways. And honestly, you know, one major thing that I want to make sure to, you know, amplify to these parents is that, you know, this is about taking the time for yourself and your children to observe, observe yourself, observe how you're feeling, observe your motivation, observe your work ethic, observe how all these things are going and then reflect on it and then move forward. Right. So we, we are fortunate enough in this home learning environment that families already know their kids and teachers spend a lot of time during their school year starting out trying to get to know their kids and build these emotional relationships with them. And so although this kind of experience may modify or, you know, evolve that relationship in different ways, um, the more important thing is, is that you've already got that relationship. Let's take what you have, that trust, that, you know, st stability, whatever it is, the way that you guys communicate, um, take what you know about each other and how can you use this time to amplify home learning in a new way and make it simple to where it's not overly complicated. You're not filtering through a million and one resources, but rather you're only using the resources that are what's best for you and your child based on what you see within yourself and what you're reflecting on and the kind of goals you're moving toward. Right, exactly. And you and I should also add that um, we are qualified to teach pre-K through third grade. So we're really gearing towards the littler guys right now. But um, I think it's important for parents to realize that when we were in college, we weren't taught content. We weren't taught all of the ins and outs of science. We were taught how to teach. We were taught how to build these relationships. And that's, you know, like you were saying, that was really the most important part. And one of the biggest factors was meeting kids where they were and understanding who they are and what their interests mm -hmm. are and kind of going from that aspect. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I kind of have some things that I think would really benefit teachers and you and I have already kind of discussed this, but starting out with the fact that this is the most perfect opportunity to do child-led um, activities and collaborative projects is going to be a huge, huge facet in this home learning. Um, you know, sometimes we can't always navigate that a child has the space to, you know, connect their academics to where their interests are. And, you know, that, that varies from teacher to teacher. And a lot of teachers work really hard to make sure that it is appealing or engaging to students, but to really tailor it to your child's specific needs and specific interests um, is going to be a lot simpler than it seems. It really takes this process of um, observation and reflection and you know, that part of it is going to be foundational in this process moving forward. So, you know, first and foremost, that child-led, um, you know, activity and allowing that to drive what you do each day is going to be very important. Now, let me clarify that child-led does not mean that, like, your child's dictating eating cookies for breakfast and, you know, having screen time for four hours consecutively, but rather child-led in the sense of the 
the things that you're implementing, the things, the routines and um, times of day that you have set aside for your child's kind of focus or work time or reading time or writing time or whatever they're doing, um, allowing that to be driven by the things that they love and care about. And Hannah, do you have any insights to add to that sort of topic? Yeah, I wanted to add what we kind of talked about with schedules. Uh, Again, I'm seeing parents on one end of the spectrum where they have these very rigid, um, very specific schedules that, you know, every 20 minutes of their day for eight hours are planned out. And then there seems to be parents on the other end of the spectrum that aren't making a schedule at all. And I want to point out that although I do think you should have some sort of schedule and routine in place just to make your life easier and to make sure that you guys are actually getting things done, um, even in a traditional school setting where there is always a routine and a schedule that the kids are aware of and that um, is consistent for them, it still changes from day to day to a point. When I was teaching, if if the energy level was low or something was wrong, we stopped what we were doing. Um, There was lots of situations where what I was doing just wasn't working. They weren't responding. And I knew no matter how much I pushed, they weren't going to get anything out of it. So we would stop. We would talk about the problem. um, We would do yoga um, just to kind of get us back on track. So I want parents to be aware of that. Yeah. And, you know, to piggyback on that, um, you know, something that I really value is that sense of classroom community. And like I noted before, teachers spend a long time working on that. And since you kind of already have that foundation, um, consider how you and your child or children can come up with a new culture of what it's like to learn from home. You know, have them be a part of establishing those routines, have them be a part of helping you um, navigate what are some guidelines that we might want to honor in our independent work time or when we're doing things together as a family. Um, One thing that's really important about routines is that they are consistent and predictable. However, you know, to your point that they are flexible. So something that would be a great tool for implementing or making a part of your day would be having a morning meeting. I know that was something that was crucial in our classroom community is to make sure that there was a morning meeting every morning. And that morning meeting may have looked different from day to day. The amount of time that was spent um, being a part of that might have varied. But, you know, we still allowed the space and the time for sharing important things that were happening to us, this safe space for saying, you know, I'm kind of feeling this way today, or I'm really interested in, you know, diving into this kind of project, or, you know, I'm noticing that I'm, I'm feeling really nervous and I'm missing a lot of my friends. Um, is it okay if we start our day with something where we're all spending time together or a way that I can do something for my friends that, you know, so just kind of understanding the flexibility in And yeah, maybe you do morning meeting every morning, but maybe every morning it does not look the same. Um, I I love that. And I keep thinking that this is a perfect opportunity for children to really practice project-based learning and that the whole family would enjoy that. Yeah. Um, You know, that's huge too. And you know this because when we say project-based learning, obviously that means you, you hear that there's a project involved. Well, you know, that doesn't mean that you have to be like, oh, I have to go to, um, you know, this science website and look up this little craft that we have to do that's related to science. But rather, when you're doing project-based learning, 
you take this topic. So maybe it's a question that your, your child asks. And it, an example I saw in my classroom was about Rubik's cubes. Um, you know, how fast can someone solve a Rubik's cube? They just wanted to do research on current records of people who are solving Rubik's cubes. But then this child became so enamored with Rubik's cubes that he then discovered multiple types of Rubik's cubes. And then, you know, moved on to thinking about, can I solve multiple in a certain amount of time? Are there records for that? So these are all questions that like he was so fascinated with that incorporated things like mathematics, that incorporated research skills, that incorporated having to write and journal and then finally present on it. Um, we did something like this during a time of our, our day called Wonder Workshop or Genius Hour. You can look that up on YouTube. Um, that's another important time, but that allows for the idea of integrating ideas, just the same as, you know, Hannah, you mentioned in our conversation prior that there are a lot of real life circumstances that you can pinpoint these language arts, reading and writing concepts, these mathematic concepts, these science concepts. Um, I, I would, do you mind reminding me of that example that you gave? Oh, I was talking about how this is the perfect opportunity to really get kids helping out in the household and recognizing that, you know, them helping with making dinner or them helping with the laundry or any chores around the house can also be an educational time. Yeah, absolutely. And so like, it's not about going and finding, you know, worksheets on teachers pay teachers or that, you know, your child's classroom teacher sent a packet home with them or is asking to do this, that, and the other, you know, the learning tools that you use can look like a wide variety of things, whether it be actual text designated for children or whether it's that, you know, your child becomes interested in cookbooks or looking at different characters across different types of books. Maybe it's that um, they become, they watch a documentary with you and become so completely consumed by the person who is centralized in that or, you know, told about in that documentary. What, what can they know more about it? What can they create as an extension of that? Um, you know, a lot of the things that we already have are perfect learning tools. Blank notebooks are a huge one. That's just a place for tracking thinking. And, you know, we, if you have books or don't, there's plenty of free online reading resources right now. Start with uh, scholastic.com and then go from there. Um, another thing would be that there's a there's definitely a podcast source for children called Brains On that has a lot of nonfiction information and goes over a variety of topics. So that might serve you in a, a lot of good ways as well. Um, and then Hannah and I, you and I talked about, uh, you know, iPads <laughs> and how they might serve in a, a family's learning space. Do you want to explain that thought? Yeah, we talked about how although the technology can be a great resource and we recognize that, um, just to be mindful of how your children are utilizing that tool and to make sure that you're not using it as an educational crutch. Um, there's a difference between being engaged in what you're doing um, using technology and being zoned out on it. And I know it always sticks with me. Um, my second year teaching I was at a workshop and I learned that the CEOs of Google send their children to tech-free schools where they're not getting technology at all. So I think it's important, even if you're relying on those apps, which can be wonderful, to make sure 
um, that you're still reading to them and using books and writing and doing those other more traditional aspects. And to add on to that directly, um, just in regards to screen time in general, when children are engaging with technology in ways of, you know, constantly watching videos or, um, you know, becoming engaged with these games over long periods of time, you know, when they're doing that in contrast to interacting directly with other people in their household or friends or families or whatever, that is affecting the development of their brains and the way that they are going through specific developmental stages. So the way that they develop their sense of their sense of self, the way that they develop their sense of empathy, the way that they develop their conversation skills, the way that they are developing then their roles within a community, you know, the ways that they're understanding how they might add value. All of these things are varied because of the way that their brain is in taking the stimuli of the screen time and how that affects them differently from the way that, you know, they're intaking information from, you know, the people that they're with. And there's a lot of resources that add value to that conversation. Um, Please feel free to investigate it. But uh, there's just a lot of, a lot of resources that reiterate that, you know, technology can be a, a positive resource and a positive tool if you're using it for the purpose of amplifying independent and open-ended thinking. Um, And that's why to circle back around, using questions, using question-based kind of topics or planning to lead you down a path is going to get you more for, you know, less, less effort. It's gonna get you more. Now, try to challenge yourself to think of big questions, big um, broad questions. And not just, you know, simple yes and no questions like, you know, what kind of fur does a certain animal have that's going to stop your research soon. But rather, how can I, if I'm interested in animals, a certain breed of animals, um, you know, what kinds of questions do I want to know about them? Why am I interested in them? What do I know about how they're, what other species they're connected to? Things in that nature. But um, yeah, not to go on too much about those specifics. But um, one more thing to add on in regards to the technology and the social part of it is the environment. And Hannah, this is your specialty, is the environment. Um, Why don't you go ahead and lead the way in this conversation? Right. Thank you. I just wanted to also make sure that we added um, just to be intentional, intentional, (laughs) be intentional about your child's work environment. And it doesn't have to look like a classroom environment. And in fact, you know, most classroom environments look very different from one another. But just pay attention to how your child is doing and if they are struggling um, to stay focused. I know that when I was teaching in Alaska, I had a mentor teacher because it was my first year teaching that would fly in from Colorado and check on me about once a month. And one of the things that she had to do was make sure that I had a certain number of things up on my walls in my classroom. And I got docked every single month because I didn't have enough things up on my walls. Um, and I'm definitely a rule follower, but I refused to put up the number of things that they wanted me to have. Um, in my head, I was working with kids that were uh, struggling to learn a language and there was too much going on. They could not stay focused with that cluttered of an environment. So of course I still made sure that things on my walls were about them and I let them choose. 
their work that would go on the walls, but I still kept it clean and simple and uncluttered so that they could focus on what they were doing. Um, my third year teaching, I taught in a private Catholic school and there I started implementing flexible seating. So I didn't have all of my students sitting at a desk necessarily. I had beanbag, beanbag chairs. I had clipboards so they could lay on their stomachs on the floor. I had wobble chairs. Um, and each student was responsible for sitting where they were able to do their work best. And that was their choice to make. So just pay attention to where your child is at and what's working for them and what's not working for them. Yeah. And... You know, to add on to that, in my experience as a classroom teacher, um, you know, I really was proud of the fact that when people walked into our classroom, they they commented often on how comfortable and cozy it felt in there. Um, you know, it felt like a family environment. So we had plenty of, you know, comfortable spaces, pillows, beanbag chairs, things like that. Um, oftentimes I was sitting on the floor right alongside the children. Now, you know, like I had mentioned previously in that morning meeting, if you designate a morning meeting space, make sure that that meeting space is conducive for what you want to get accomplished there. You know, um, is it big enough for everybody to sit in that space comfortably? Um, are there things that might distract you there? And this is, these are the same kinds of questions you would ask about your independent workspace. Is it set up in a way that, you know, when you're working independently, you can get the things done that you want to, or where's the best space to work together and collaborate? Is there enough table space? Is there enough floor space? Um, what kinds of materials do I have? That kind of thing. And then honestly, you know, in this time where we're kind of being recommended to stay at home, it is important to understand that being outdoors is something that is not only essential, but you know, achievable. You can read outdoors. You can do writing outdoors. You can observe the, you know, environment around you. You can create art outdoors. There's, there's a lot of options as, you know, in addition to your inside space that you can go to. And, and for those who may not have a yard or may not have, you know, the specific space on their own property to be able to utilize, I know that, you know, right now we are able to go and be in public parks and enjoy outdoor space as long as we're honoring that social distance um, recommendation. But there are spaces that you can still utilize these educational moments. It can even serve as like a part of your observation um, to something you're doing inside of the home to take a nature walk or, you know, grab a little notebook and go on a walk and see if there's something that inspires your child or you even. So, um, you know, I do think it's important that you are so mindful of how each aspect of the environment, indoor and outdoor, is affecting this experience as well. So, um, you know, obviously Hannah's amazing at helping keep people accountable to their home organizing. <laughs> I can say that from experience. I find myself sending her pictures, like hang this picture on the fridge of my organized closet, please. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, the, these are our words of take it for what you will in this time of home learning, but we hope that, you know, it adds value to the way that you operate moving forward. 
Right. And I want to be mindful of time, but before I let you go today, um, I know that you made a Facebook group to actually help parents during this time. So can you share that? Yeah, um, absolutely. So on Facebook and Hannah, I'll put this in the show notes. Um, I have created a home learning resource page. Now, this resource page can serve as a space for families to, you know, share their concerns, but also as a space to send requests or be reassuring to one another or, you know, share successes. My goal in offering this space would be to kind of give you resources of things that are able to be um, put into place at home with little planning time, with little, um, you know, new purchases of materials, with limited amount of investment on that part, but serve a big, big, big impact in your child's learning. So, um, you know, I've already started with a couple of posts and hoping to, in some way, shape or form, add value to the families out there that are just doing their best to make sure that their children stay educated and keep moving forward in their growth. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today, Mackenzie. Hey, thank you, Hannah. I really hope you got some value out of that interview with Mackenzie. As always, if you are looking for more guidance and support during your organizational journey, please head over to my website at theorderlyness.com and sign up for my Sip and Sort Sunday emails. You can also join my private Facebook group, The Orderly Nest Community, and right now we are doing lots of different decluttering challenges. Talk soon. Cheers. Cheers.